I, I want to be held accountable for what I'm doing. You know, this may sound like an, an exaggeration, but it was like the 9-11 of my career and certainly of making kombucha. Jesus is smart. This idea of income inequality, that always strikes me as a very, it's a deceptive term, income inequality. Well, let's flip it around. It comes from outcome inequality. In five, four, three, two. I got the loot, Steve. Hello, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. My name is Sean P. McCarthy, and I'm here joined by... Yogi Powell. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. And so this week, we're talking about the billionaire Eddie Lampert. And you may or may not have heard of the name Eddie Lampert. But if you have ever walked past a uh, Sears or Kmart having a going out of business sale, then you are familiar with his work. <laughs> uh, because Eddie Lampert is the hedge fund financial engineer who drove those two staples of American retail into the ground. And they are currently going through a uh, very complicated and horrendous bankruptcy with uh, probably about 200,000 layoffs altogether throughout his tenure. Well, did you know that uh, Sears actually saved my parents' marriage? Really? Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, recorded it here. I cannot live another day without air conditioning. Says tomorrow's gonna be hotter. Hotter? Like yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday you said you'd call Sears. I'll call today. You call now. I'll call now. <laughs> so what's the paper say about tomorrow? Another scorcher. <laughs> right. Cool, 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 cool. I, I didn't know you pitch-toned your parents' conversation, Andy. That's just oh, no, nice. that's just how they talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a birth defect. Oh, you know, in the in the Walmart air conditioning commercial, the guy just slaps his wife and says, "Shut up." <laughs> and that's actually why Walmart won the retail wars. You that's can't right. be taking shit. Mm-mm. No, some of the um, roll back prices, bitch. <laughs> turns out some of the uh, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. I shop at Walmart. Some of the prenatal vitamins in the fifties um, left babies uh, permanently voice modulated. Right. right. <laughs> what the Johnson & Johnson scandal is all about. Yeah, thalidomide. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just can't believe Eddie Lampert took that priceless intellectual property and ran right. it into the ground. Another <laughs> scorcher. <laughs> but they talk about, you know, of course, many people familiar about the uh, are familiar with the Sears catalog or Kmart had these blue light sales <laughs> and the, the thing where they would go, attention Kmart shoppers, and they would put blue lights out for the things that would be on, on sale. So people would even hang out in the store waiting for things to go on sale and um really yeah and in the early 2000s both of these companies you know ran into trouble uh and uh, kmart was bought out of bankruptcy by eddie lampert uh sears wasn't bankrupt but they were in trouble and he also bought sears and he merged the two of them in 2005 and then the story since then is uh really just uh the joint revenues of kmart and sears have been down every single year since that merger in 2005 wow. uh, comparable store sales which is comparing store sales the same store from one year to the next right down every single year 13 consecutive years <laughs> and uh you know it is just something where um we'll kind of get through some of the uh uh, more complicated financial shenanigans he got up to, but just at the basic thing, you might be familiar with the story that Sears is going out of bank uh, is going bankrupt. But did you know that Eddie? <laughs> but did you know that Eddie Lampert, in his time at Sears, ordered the IT department to create their own social media app 
private internal for Sears employees. And then he spent his time arguing with sales clerks on the social media app. (laughs) I love that you create a network to talk to your subordinates. And then you go, I'm going to fight with these subordinates on this network. And you say he did it anonymously? Yes. So he he uh, he set up an account anonymously, but then the employees figured out that it was him. So they started faking conversations because bosses would then be monitoring their. They everyone wanted his fake social media to be like a success and a good idea. So bosses would start monitoring communications. So all the employees would start having fake conversations on the social media. It was called Pebble, and. Uh, but yeah, no, I like the your fucking work. It set. must have been so hard for them to crack the code of the anonymous account, Big Dick Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> but I just like the the imagination of your work setting up a fake workplace Twitter, and then you being the ten dollars an hour sales associate, having to be like, this fucking billionaire just called me a beta cuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's have a, he just creates like a lightly moderated sub. You <laughs> <laughs> just rip on uh, sales associates. That was not the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> I, I love that he created a social media network. He told his IT crew like, hey, we can't use Facebook or Friendster. Get on our own network. Why did he make him do that? Well, just it sounds so you like fuck it was like a PHP BB type thing. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of like a forum. It was more like a forum than Twitter, but everybody, I guess there was a 200 character limit and everybody was encouraged to use it. The fake idea was he can get anonymous feedback uh, that you know people wouldn't say to their bosses, but right. then what actually happens is, oh, they figure out their bosses are reading and monitoring this, <laughs> right, right. so they start manipulating their bosses. Um, but it was banned because there were too many Nazis on it. Is that what yes. happened? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't think when I took this uh, uh, $12 an hour stocking shelves at Sears job that I would have to uh, pretend to participate in my boss's red pill game theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there are flagship stores just down the way from where Stephen and I live now. And um, Oh, really? Yeah. And so when I moved in, I was like, well, I need a couple of things. And so I thought I'd check it out because at the time all the news was that they were going out of business i'm like i'm gonna get cheap stuff right right and then i guess the flagship store was not getting the cheap stuff yeah that makes sense. it was still full price right yeah right right yeah you walk in and the associates are like sorry i'll help you in one second i'm finishing this argument with the owner (laughs) (laughs) he says the cowboys are gonna lose on sunday (laughs) and i'm sick of this fucking idiot thinking just because he created this social media network he knows what's up Um, But so it is a fascinating story, um, and I wanted to point out there's this guy, Mark Cohen, was a a former Sears executive. I believe he was running Sears Canada for a bit, and he's been a constant critic of Eddie Lampert. Like, if you turn on CNBC, he's on there a fair bit. And um, Mark Cohen... Just any time you turn on CNBC, (laughs) he's in picture in picture talking (laughs) shit about Eddie Lampert. But, But Mark Cohen, he points out something that I found very interesting, which is Sears was a public company. So you would assume... That for 13 consecutive years, a public company being run into the fucking ground, getting worse every single year, you would assume a public company would be like, we're going to fire the CEO. We're going to replace the the leadership team. And uh, Mark Cohen, he's quoted in Vanity Fair. He says this, uh, Eddie Lampert had a puppet board, board of directors, Mm -hmm. uh, who have never pushed back in any way that anybody has seen. And why would they? They're all handpicked Eddie acolytes. And people have asked me for over a decade. 
decade. How does he get away with this? It's a public company. Why isn't the board in action given the continued failure of the business? To which I say, the board is meaningless. There's no governance here whatsoever. Yeah, the stock has been perpetually dropping from 2007 from a uh, high of $134.51 uh, to today where it is 26 cents. Wow. He spent uh, Eddie Lampert. From That's two- what, a 10,000% drop? So Eddie Lampert's one move. I mean, he seems like a dipshit fail uh, son rich kid. Sure. Uh, his one move is his hedge fund goes in and does shareholder buybacks. Right. And then he tried this again here with Sears, and we'll get into some of his other more innovative management techniques. But from 2005 to 2010, they spent $5.3 billion on shareholder buybacks. Mm-hmm. So that's juicing the stock price up to that $130 level. And lots of people have pointed out that $5.3 billion... Um, could have been spent on, you know, investment in the store, right. uh, advertising, you know, um, hiring actual retail experts, which he did <laughs> not do. Uh, but instead, in 2018, Eddie Lampert writes this blog post where he blames the collapse on the pension fund, which uh, the total liabilities are in the range of $4 billion. Oh, wow. So he's blaming this pension fund when the entire liabilities are less than what you fucking spent on shareholder <laughs> buybacks. He also blamed it on the comeback of uh, Family Guy not being as good as the original run. <laughs> Reminds me of when, like, a comedy club in Seattle wanted to uh, cut costs. Instead of uh, doing a better job at being a comedy club, they replaced their plastic cups with styrofoam cups. Because <laughs> that's really where they were losing all the money. <laughs> plastic cups. Yeah, it's uh, it's harder to throw it at Yogi when he's bombing on stage. <laughs> Terry Taylor was the one that made that change. Yeah. Um, but so, and I guess before we start with the King uh, of Seattle comedy, <laughs> before we start with the general biography of Eddie in Lampert, in a French Revolution sense, <laughs> before we start with the biography of Eddie Lampert, I do want to point out one thing, which is you know, so Forbes has his net worth today at about one point one billion. At the high, it was in it was close to three billion. So Eddie Lampert, his net worth has suffered from what has happened to Sears, mm-hmm. but. He's still going to overall make money on right, this, right. where there's an institutional investor article, which which kind of goes through, even though Sears has been just hammered, and he's put a ton of his money into Sears, you know, buying the stock, buying the debt, even though it's been hammered, according to institutional investor, uh, Lampert has still made nearly $1.4 billion to date from his Sears investment. Wow. Um, and this was based on their calculations, and it, it, what happened was, because as a hedge fund, he invested in Sears and collected his annual management fees just over this 13 years uh, based on the management fees. And also he gets into s- some shenanigans spinning off the real estate, which we'll get to. But institutional investor added this all up and said, yeah, he's made $1.3 billion just because every year, even if the thing is in the fucking toilet, the hedge fund that owns it is collecting management fees. You know, So it is like I mean, it's a, a heads-I-win-tails-you-lose situation with hedge funds in this uh, financialized economy where even when something is driven into bankruptcy, if they were collecting their fees, there's no way of clawing that back. They're just going to walk away with a profit. Mm-hmm. 
And who was paying these fees? Was it the people whose, I guess, hedge funds he was managing? Right. So, yeah, it was his hedge fund investors. And, of course, you know, the cost is passed on to the actual public shareholders of, of Sears. And that's but, like pensions and that sort of yes, thing. And of 401ks. Course. Uh, and they also got into a very uh, th- a scheme they're being sued over where they were also pushing Sears employees into Sears stock, even though they knew it was functionally worthless and they were stripping the assets out. So just another extra way of fucking people over is getting the employees uh, to uh, dump some of their paychecks into your worthless stock. So wait, if he's making money, whether the business is good or bad, how is he fucking up so hard? Like, it seems like, you know, most rich kids that inherit money or inherit uh, businesses seem to make all of the wrong decisions, but somehow get away from it for no real reason. How is he making money off fucking up this badly? Well, we'll kind of go through the the entire biography, but my general thesis, having done a bit of research, is he hit a lucky streak in the 1990s where he was a hedge fund guy who got in in the 90s where there was that big stock market boom. Right. So he was a long investor. So if you were a long investor there, you make a lot of money. And then he has this track record. And from this track record, he goes, no investors in my hedge fund can withdraw their money uh, for five years. Hmm. So as soon as you give them money, it's trapped in there for five <laughs> right, years. Right, right. And uh, I mean, what happened with Sears was a bunch of his investors were trapped in there. And then as soon as they could, they're like, we're getting the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. But it was just um, the momentum was to the point where uh, it was inevitable. And then he started doing all sorts of asset stripping stuff once he realized there was no way to, to save this business. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure... Obviously, it would be better for him if Sears had succeeded, but he's just such a fucking Ayn Rand dumbass who had no retail (laughs) experience, and he was like, yeah, let's set up this Lord of the Flies environment, um, which we'll get to because it's one of the most fascinating um, articles I've read on business uh, uh, strategy (laughs) where he uh, splits his Sears divisions into 40 different uh, little companies that all compete against each other. Yeah, he does the Joker break break a piece of wood and put it in the middle of a circle of people (laughs) approach to corporate governance. Just fucking log on to Pebble. Why is my boss telling me why so serious? (laughs) It's not about the money. It's about sending a message, <laughs> lighting just hundreds of millions of dollars on Sears stock on fire. Another scorcher. <laughs> We're going to allocate corporate costs for divisions based on the non-aggression principle. Um, but yeah, so uh, his hedge fund, uh, Eddie Lampert's hedge fund is called ESL. It's his initials. Oh, English is a second language? Yes. Uh, Eddie something or other Lampert. Um, so the okay. hedge fund was That do- works. Yes. <laughs> the hedge fund was doing pretty well in terms of returns up until 2005, where he does this uh, Sears Kmart uh, deal. And then since 2005, it has lost 6% annually on average every year, which uh, th- th- you put that and yeah. you put your money in there, you're losing 6% and then the fees are getting charged to you. Well, looking right. at the um, stock right now, like in 2005, it's up at 110 and then it drops in 2006 to about... 80, but then it actually shoots up in 2007 again to uh, like 134, and then it just precipitously drops, sort of like that uh, Simpsons Enron uh, <laughs> roller coaster of broken dreams. But for a contrary view, here's CNN in 2006. Eddie Lampert is the Steve Jobs of the investing world. <laughs> he thinks differently and acts differently with extraordinary results. He's the greatest investor of his generation, says fellow billionaire Richard Rainwater, and Lampert has the numbers to prove it. 
I mean, yes, I guess if you're a short seller, he is the greatest <laughs> right, investor right. of his generation. But that's but. that's the um, the hedge fund thing is quite the amazing scam because you keep wondering how all these hedge fund guys make so much money. And right. it's, it's really like it's taking people's 401ks that everyone is driven to invest in because it's the wise choice for your retirement. And then essentially taking a management fee so that it doesn't matter whether or not you actually can make money off of it. And then when it crashes, if it crashes, you can just pack out because you've got the management fee and everyone whose money you're uh, managing gets screwed over. Right. And, you know, it's something we've talked about a lot. It's it's throwing darts at a dartboard where sometimes right. you will make a good lucky stock pick. But uh, to do it consistently, as far as I've seen, the only way to consistently beat the S&P 500 is to engage in illegal insider trading or uh, what we talked about on the Dan Loeb episode, engage in activist uh, investor tactics where you're just saying you're just, uh, uh, let's say, doing a smash and grab with management being like, hey, lay off some people and do a big buyback and that'll juice the stock price and then we're going to exit our position. So you can right. you can beat the S and P five hundred doing that. It's just very clearly makes the economy into a very uh, predatory operation uh, that is very bad for the workers who exist under it. I don't see why that's bad, Sean. I don't <laughs> see why me making money, smashing and grabbing is bad for the worker. I don't Gotta see get what's pizza, going on. Man. Yeah. Well, what's what's interesting is you know uh, the the constant argument for capitalism is that it's the most efficient right. uh, type of economic system. But in capitalism, and I'm obviously not the first one to say this efficiency means ability or it's it's the being efficient in a capitalist system means making money and so people aren't incentivized to be a better company in the way that it's uh portrayed by people on let's say cnbc Mm -hmm. they're incentivized to make money in the easiest way possible and very often that includes these very sleazy tactics of either destroying a company putting the workers or uh, unemploying people or just you know breaking the law yeah, that makes sense. Uh, to make more money, you should fuck everyone over. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> My favorite line in that entire commercial is when uh, she goes, uh, like it's the right before her last line where she goes, uh, I'll call, you'll call, what is the fucking line? It's like, you'll call, call tomorrow. I I'll cannot call. live another day without air conditioning. Says tomorrow's going to be hotter. Hotter? Like yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday you said you'd call Sears. I'll call today. You call now. <laughs> That's the Elizabeth Holmes version. <laughs> if you, you play the commercial now. backward, it's the call to c- Cthulhu. <laughs> they start reciting the same, the same ancient hymn that neither of them knew before, before the recording. Sorry, we accidentally opened the plane. Uh, apologies to any of our listeners who were driven insane. <laughs> oh my god, Andy just walked out the balcony and jumped off it. Sean, why are you hard? <laughs> That's what happens when Sean loses his mind. He just gets a sustained erection. Yep. <laughs> Nothing else is different. Oh, the tragic end of Grubstakers when we opened a gateway to another horrific dimension <laughs> and Lovecraftian creatures came through and drove us insane. Um, but I guess we should start. I guess we should start the biography 
of Eddie Lampert, and then we can talk about uh, the pretty fascinating story of what he actually did to Sears. But uh, it should be noted up top here, as we record this, uh, there's a White, uh, White Plains, New York bankruptcy court that's hearing over 4,000 claims for this Sears bankruptcy. Oh, really? So Eddie Lampert is trying to, he bought uh, some of the assets out of bankruptcy. He's trying to launch Sears again. But actually, a lot of the vendors are saying, this is an insolvent company, just liquidate it so we get some money. Sure. Because, you know, of course, the people who gave product to Sears are, um, saying there's no way of making this business work just give us our money you know let's shut this shit down and then of course you know he fucked over severance pay for the workers pensions for the workers and we'll, we'll get to all that a bit more later but the point is you know as we go uh, forward Eddie Lampert's fortune will entirely be determined by a bankruptcy judge in upstate New York hmm. so we'll see if he gets away with this um, but I, I guess we can start the story all the way back in 1962, he's born in Roslyn, New York, is a, a affluent suburb of Long Island. Um, uh, his father is named Floyd Lampert. Lampert mm-hmm. was a senior. He was a senior partner at this New York law firm, Lampert and Lampert. Uh, his mother, Dolores <laughs> Lampert. <laughs> uh, Solid name right there. Yeah, yeah. but it's so it's interesting where <laughs> what's better than one Lampert. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting where he grows up rich. You realize there's only one of you, right? (laughs) I see my reflection. There's two. He's just got a sock puppet. (laughs) (laughs) He was was legendary for his ability to confuse the jury. (laughs) Represented himself. Do you mean me or me? What do you think, Flappy Lampert? (laughs) If the glasses not fit, you must quit. His... His seven-week oral arguments were famous for having jurors begging for a mistrial, <laughs> and his corporate criminal clients got away with it through that. The court, the court transcript was pretty confusing to read through. <laughs> he, he won most of his cases by drinking a glass of water while <laughs> Flappy Lampert <laughs> made closing statements. Um, but but I guess I brought that up because in various profiles they talk about Eddie Lampert's. Uh, they say he can relate to Sears workers because he knows what it's like to struggle and work hour <laughs> for hour. And the the closest thing that comes to that is when he's fourteen years old, his father dies of a heart attack. Um, and so I liked this quote. His so he had to get a newspaper route. Yes. I like this quote his mother gives to the Wall Street Journal in 1991. She says, quote, that was the end of camp or going away to Europe like the other children. End quote. <laughs> so his dad dies and they have to cut back on their European vacations, Aww. just like the other children. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he has to uh, he has to get a job. Uh, during summer vacations, he worked in a warehouse packing boxes in high school because, you know, his dad had died. Um, but it is also worth noting that his sister's wedding, uh, his sister gets a wedding notice in the New York Times in 1990, which is also one of those things that really only happens to the minor aristocracy right, in the right, United right. States. Like, no fucking schlub is getting a New York Times wedding announcement <laughs> uh, in 1990. <laughs> But, uh, you know, so he kind of portrays it as, like, very humble origins, but it's clear he grew up with money. Unsurprisingly, he gets into Yale. Uh, He gets into Yale. He graduates with an economics degree in 1984. He's Phi Beta Kappa, uh, so a fellow member, if I may say so. Little little humble brag there. 
but he's also in the... No, that's just a brat. <laughs> You're a member of that frat? Uh, Phi Beta Kappa, yeah. If you get X GPA and write an essay, they, they put you into it. Asshole! <laughs> <laughs> it's not a frat. That's like a fucking country club. Yes. Yeah, that's just a, an, an honor sticker. Yeah. It's an honor yeah. society. How many yes. times you make yeah. Dean's List, Sean? Uh, <laughs> most quarters. How many times you suck the Dean's List? <laughs> also most quarters. Man, you know, getting getting honors recognition would be way more impressive if you did it in a real <laughs> topic. <laughs> Economics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not a real topic. It's not real science anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I have an honors degree in uh putting my fingers in my ears and going, nah, 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 nah. I'm not listening to any of the Hong Kong or other development models. I'm ignoring how Japan developed with state uh directed enterprises and South Korea and <laughs> How many y'all like externalities? <laughs> That's Sean's essay, and they're like, this guy's really good at ignoring the facts. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, uh, so I'm writing my essay about how every country the IMF went into got poorer <laughs> afterwards, and then I just put a giant strike through it, and then it's like 100%. <laughs> This is a fucking P- a Nobel Prize winning economic Sean, paper. Sean, you're going to need to add a laugher curve to this. <laughs> Um, oh, yes. Well, so Eddie Lampert was Phi Beta Kappa at Yale. Cool. But something he was that I was not was a member of the Skull and Bones Society, oh. <laughs> which we have, not, we have not talked about too much on this podcast, but uh, I wanted to um, just make mention of the uh, Alexandra Robbins book uh, about the Skull and Bones Society. She, she wrote it in 2002, and she went through, um, when you join the Skull and Bones, there's like a, um, a tomb at Yale where they conduct their little rituals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so apparently when you join the Skull and Bones, you have to get into a coffin while uh, all the members watch you, and then you have to masturbate while you list your entire sexual history. Oh. And uh, that's cool. just a totally normal cool. thing that... <laughs> Everyone running all the highest levels of business and government yeah. in this country George did. George Bush, John Kerry. Yes. Steve Schwartzman Steve at Blackstone. Schwartzman. Yeah. David Schwimmer. <laughs> all right, I'll masturbate tomorrow. <laughs> you will masturbate now. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Um, there, uh, For our listeners, David Schwimmer is not in Skull <laughs> Also, apparently the Skull of Geronimo is there. Um, it's speculated that the person who... Stole it from Geronimo's <laughs> grave. Yes. Was um Wait, this is real? Really? Yeah. What? Uh, but wait, wait, David Schwimmer is uh masturbating in the coffin and then he's <laughs> listing his sexual history and one of the other members goes, So so you cheated on her? And he goes, <laughs> No, we were on a break. <laughs> For our listeners, I just want to remind you that this show was almost called the Friends Recap Podcast, <laughs> where we would re- we would say that we're recapping every episode of Friends and then just do billionaires. <laughs> so, uh, and I'd be the only one who would take it seriously, <laughs> where I would watch an episode. And I'm glad we didn't go with the name because I have to do a lot less work now. <laughs> we had a lot of good Gunter material, <laughs> but yes, like Andy was saying, yes, they have this. The, yeah, and it, it was alleged to be have been stolen by. Uh, What's George H.W. Bush and uh, his father and George Bush's uh, George W. Bush's grandfather. I forget his first name. Whoa, Pre- whoa, 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 whoa. Bush. Yeah, Prescott Bush. The, uh, the Bushes are grave robbers? No, no. <laughs> They're upstanding citizens of America, Andy. And it, no one has managed to break into Skull and Bones to like determine it on the outside. And of course... All the skull and bones assholes, like none of them will say it. Like, imagine being committed 
so committed to a club you were in in college that you keep that secret and take it to your grave. Like that's it. it it's it's the most disgusting thing where it's it's just a college club, <laughs> but they treat it like it's this religious order, which is what makes it so sinister. Right. Um, also, there's a YouTube video where someone apparently. Um, didn't break into the doors of Skull and Bones, but like managed to jump over, get over the roof and get into the courtyard. Oh, really? And uh, the video has them going into this sort of basement area. And there is uh, actually a coffin there, like this old coffin that's open and there's a podium next to it. It's sitting on like the dirt on the ground. Sure, sure. So I don't know if that's the active one that they jerk <laughs> off in, but it is potentially the coffin that John Kerry and George W. Bush and George H. W. Bush and Pres- George Prescott Bush jerked off in. Oh, wait, is it jerking off to completion or is it just jerking off while mentioning your sexual conquest? So, because so, neither is appropriate. Well, they, uh, yeah, apparently they take women now too. <laughs> uh, if there's any listeners, uh, the sequel we need to that YouTube video is somebody jumping over the fence and then bringing a blue light into. The- <laughs> 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 Just see if there's a Solid constant blue. <laughs> I think it's black light. Uh, yeah, maybe it is a black light. Um, all right, but uh, oh, and um, yes, in addition to the skull of Geronimo, apparently they're supposed to have a set of silverware belonging to Adolf Hitler. Really? And so these other things that they show new initiates, but you know, also I mean, uh, whoa, Lanny, whoa. Lanny Davis, who um, you said that here's here's it's a it's a senior it's a group of seniors, and. Um, this guy, Lanny Davis, apparently said, uh, if the society had a good year, this is what the ideal group would consist of. A football captain, captain, a chairman of the Yale Daily News, a conspicuous radical, a poof, a swimming captain, a notorious drunk with a 94 average, a filmmaker, a political columnist, a religious group meter, leader, a chairman of the lit, a foreigner, a ladies' man with two motorcycles, an ex-serviceman, a Negro, if there are enough to go around, <laughs> what? a guy nobody else in the group has heard of ever. That's and that's the end of the quote. See, I mean, yeah, it is something where like it's clearly just like a weird college club, right. uh, and I mean, it's debatable how sinister. Uh, I mean, I think it is. Did you say whiffin? Yeah, whiffin poof. That's um, you know how the elite colleges have like dumbass acapella groups, right? Oh yeah, okay. yeah. This is apparently the Yale one. Oh, right. and then I guess the one at Harvard is the one for uh, laundering child sex traffickers. Allegedly, mm. I'm pretty sure they do that at Yale too. They do it at Yale too, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is something where you know it's debatable how sinister it is. But what's very clear is it's a networking opportunity for the high society oh, where yeah. joining Skull and Bones is like punching your own ticket into Goldman Sachs, right. which is yeah. what happens with Eddie Lampert. Uh, where you're in this fucking little jack-off club with the other rich kids, and it's like, hey, would you like to um, be uh, admitted into the uh, face-hugger on the American economy (laughs) that is Goldman Sachs? And, you know, Eddie Lampert is one of the many eggs it has laid, where Goldman Sachs just, like, sucks uh, the life out of um, the U.S. government and populace writ large. And uh, then these these little eggs pop up and start their own hedge funds or private equity firms after leaving Br- Goldman Sachs. They burst out of the chest of Sears. <laughs> <laughs> They've also been accused of having the skull of Martin Van Buren and Pancho Villa. I think it it's Yo, um, why they got so many skulls, son. Uh, they're skull and bones. Well, yeah, you, right, that's fair. You got to wipe your dick off with something. After you <laughs> jack off in the coffin. 
seriously, like if anyone, it, break, someone, one of our listeners needs to break into Skull and Bones and document it. I, I, I don't I'm think it's morally wrong. Any of these actions, if they're come back to us, I did not. They should allegedly break into hands. Skull and Bones, allegedly, and uh, document everything that's in there and expose them for whatever the fuck they are. Yeah, and if somebody goes to stop you, just say you're an Article 4 free inhabitant. <laughs> <laughs> just say under the Articles of Confederation, uh, only a, a written uh, a magistrate, a local elective sheriff is the only person who has any authority over you. Um, all right, well, so um, what I wanted to mention here is according to this Vanity Fair profile, um, Steve Mnuchin was um, Eddie Lampert's roommate at Yale. Oh, really? Current U.S. Treasury Secretary? Yes. Uh, Unsurprisingly, Steve Mnuchin would be on the board of Sears up until 2016, where he left to join the Trump administration. Um, And so... Just jumping ships. uh, According to Vanity Fair, uh, the summer after Eddie Lampert's junior year, he got a highly coveted Goldman Sachs internship. It probably hadn't hurt his chances that Mnuchin's father, Robert, was one of the firm's senior partners in charge of the equity division. Um, and so what happens is after graduation uh, from Yale, again, 1984, BA Economics, uh, Lampert ends up in the risk arbitrage division department at Goldman uh, Sachs. Uh, he's reporting directly to a guy named Robert Freeman. Um, uh, at the time, for future Treasury Secretary Robert Rubin uh, was one of the co-heads of Goldman Sachs. Um, but uh, this guy, Robert Friedman, was arrested as part of the even Bosky michael Milken insider trading uh, thing in, oh, the, right, in yeah. the 1980s. We've talked about it a fair bit, but I, I just wanted to read this Vanity Fair thing. Um, at Goldman Sachs, uh, Eddie Lampert was reporting directly to Robert Freeman, the par- partner in charge of the firm's business of buying, selling stocks involved in takeover transactions. Uh, in February 1987, Friedman was led off the, Freeman was led off the trading floor at Goldman by a U.S. marshal and arrested outside of the firm's Broad Street headquarters on a charges of insider trading. Um, uh, Eddie Lampert got a deposition in the case, but was never implicated in any wrongdoing. Hmm. And what I wanted to go through, I mean, not spend too much time here because I think we've talked about it, but this is the head the leader of Goldman Sachs' arbitrage division, which is trading on mergers and acquisitions. We've mentioned it a lot. Uh, If you know what's going to happen before a merger and acquisition gets announced, Mm -hmm. or if it's, you know, you have the inside tip that it's about to get derailed and nobody else knows, you can make a lot of fucking money. Yeah, of course. So it's the leader of this mergers and acquisitions department where, um, uh, arbitrage department, where Eddie Lampert is working. The very leader is charged and later pleads guilty to insider trading and so i mean this is the environment he grows up under where the actual leadership is engaged in criminal insider trading behavior giamatti was in skull and bones really Really? (laughs) makes sense (laughs) seriously do i have to name my sexual exploits (laughs) if i haven't had any how long do you need me to jerk (laughs) off in here i have spent my entire (laughs) life (laughs) Jacking off in coffins. <laughs> Guys, I can't finish unless you yell at me. <laughs> Give me the skull. I need to finish. Uh, 
But, you know, look, my point here is it is interesting. I've seen uh, the Robert Friedman, he pleads, pleads guilty to account of insider trading. He does like four months in prison. And there have been these articles that pop up, which are very clearly paid for by lobbying firms. There's, right. There are PR firms. There's one in the New York Times, one in, I think, Daily Beast, where it says, you know, uh, they tr- they say Rudy Giuliani's um, criminality didn't start with Donald Trump. It was when he prosecuted this innocent Goldman Sachs banker. Um, but... It is something where uh, not only did he plead guilty, which you have the best lawyers in the world. If you're not guilty, you can fight that. You're not some poor kid you right, know, stuck right. on a gun charge or whatever the case may be. Um, but not only did he uh, plead guilty, according to the uh, James B. Stewart book, Den of Thieves, uh, which goes through the, the whole scandal very well, um, f- uh, with uh, Freeman's plea, uh, his plea agreement, he described, uh, according to the book, a world in which Goldman Sachs uh, he had routine, uh, which while working at Goldman Sachs, he had routinely gained market information denied other investors. Um, you know, he talks about talking to people involved in this merger for Beatrice. Uh, he had talked to Henry Kravis of KKR. He had learned uh, Richard Nye was selling his Beatrice stock because uh, Goldman Sachs handled Nye's trading. So you know, he knows somebody's handling. Uh, somebody's selling a stock because another department is uh, is handling the trading of that stock. Um, he had uh, called another person and reported uh, problems uh, in the Beatrice deal. Uh, so just going on. If it, Even if it weren't criminal, the free swapping of confidential information unavailable to other investors was scandalous, showing the hazards of allowing a large investment bank to engage in arbitrage trading. Uh, no, nonetheless, unlike another firm which voluntarily uh, volunteered to get out of arbitrage after concluding that it represented an inherent conflict of interest, Goldman Sachs' arbitrage department remains one of Wall Street's most active and lucrative. And I guess I was just going through that digression there to show that the head of Goldman Sachs' arbitrage, now the prop trading desk, was engaged in endemic illegal insider trading. And there is an inherent conflict of interest where you're getting all these information from clients. Uh, Of course, you have incentive to trade on that information. Of course, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I guess that was kind of a long way to go. But my point is, this guy was Eddie Lampert's boss at Goldman Sachs. So right. if he's a piece of shit, like, who the fuck did he learn how yeah. to be a Wall Street guy from? His boss. <laughs> um, oh, it, a random anecdote is apparently Tom Steyer, the other billionaire uh, uh, running for Democrat president. He uh, worked at Goldman with uh, uh, Eddie Lampert and apparently hated him. And uh, oh, really? t- was gleeful in shorting Sears stock, <laughs> <laughs> according to, um, I think it was Vanity Fair. Um, but yes, yeah, so regardless, after this experience, Eddie Lampert, he leaves Goldman Sachs uh, during, uh, from Vanity Fair. During the summer of 1987, he met Texas billionaire investor Richard Rainwater on Nantucket. Over lunch, Rainwater told Lampert, there is life after Goldman. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just love that there's a guy who's letting Goldman Sachs people know that there's life after this. Like, it's that that difficult to be living after Goldman. <laughs> you have to devote so many years of your life <laughs> right, right, right. to go to just embarking on ridiculous <laughs> debt-fueled schemes with Goldman. There's life there's after no, Goldman. Yeah. There, no, yeah, there's probably a whole, there's hey, probably a cottage hey. industry of people yeah, yeah. whose job it is to be like a life coach for, <laughs> for ex-Goldman people. Listen, you're going to screw over a lot of people, not just here at Goldman, but at other places, too. <laughs> but uh, my point is here in uh, 1988, uh, this guy, Richard Rainwater, he gives Eddie Lampert 
28 million dollars in seed money but he also taketh away yes he uh uh so in 1988 uh eddie lampert starts esl the hedge fund he has ni- uh, 28 million dollars in seed money from a uh, rainwater richard rainwater um, they get into a fight like two years later, and he has to get other sources of investment. But through Richard Rainwater, he meets David Geffen. Mm-hmm. And in 1992, David Geffen gives Eddie Lampert $200 million to invest. Really? Uh, which really doesn't prove anything except that David Geffen got to fuck Eddie Lampert. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking Keanu Reeves route to uh, starting a hedge fund. <laughs> or Tom Cruise. All I know is... Did they fuck their way to the top? Well, that's the rumor, yeah. Who'd, who'd Keanu have to fuck? David Geffen. Oh, that, really? That's the rumor, yes. Oh, and Tom Cruise? Yes. All fuck, that both the, fuck David Geffen? Yes, because he, he was a Hollywood power player, and he would uh, fuck uh, stars to, oh. to make their careers. And again, there's... Supernovas. Yes. Pre-star. Allegedly. Yeah. If, if that's the one we get sued through, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not true at all. Well... Thank you, Keanu, for the Matrix yeah. and what you did for it. <laughs> <laughs> His, uh, people say he was emotionally disconnected in that movie, but they don't know what he had to go through to get there. Uh, but so, you know, regardless, in 1992, he gets $200 million from David Geffen, and he makes some, you know, I'll, I'll acknowledge smart investments in the 1990s. He invests in IBM, where their stock is kind of depressed because they're getting, you know, beat around by Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, he invests in American Express. This is both in the early 90s. But I think, like, really how he makes his money is he's getting into the hedge fund game right in the early 90s. Uh, during the you know the stock market boom, so and his strategy is hold long positions. Right. So if you're a hold long positions guy during a long running stock market boom, you're going to make a lot of money. Uh, so he kind of uses this track record throughout the 90s to say for his hedge fund clients, if you invest with me, you can't take your money out for five years, and you can have no input whatsoever into what I'm doing with your money. You is, know, Is the David Geffen $200 million also the five years thing, or is that pre him starting that? That is uh, part of the five years thing, yeah. Gotcha. And like David Geffen, even in 2000, in 2006, David Geffen gives a quote to, I think, CNN saying something like, if I hadn't taken some of my money out, I would be even richer investing with Eddie Lambert, <laughs> wow. which is like right as the bottom is falling yeah, out. Yeah, of course. So, you know, way to lead other poor suckers in there yeah. into the fucking death uh, trap that is Eddie Lambert's fund, Mr. Geffen. So at this point, is Lambert a billionaire or is, it, is he like a multimillionaire at this point? Because it seems like yeah. this $200 million Geffen deal is what gets Wall Street to go, okay, let's put our money with Lambert. He's a multimillionaire by the mid-90s. According to Vanity Fair, he becomes a billionaire when, uh, in the late 90s, he invests in AutoZone and AutoNation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, according to Vanity Fair, in um, he acquires 30% of the company, orchestrated a series of aggressive stock buybacks that had the effect of driving up AutoZone's earning per share by reducing the shares outstanding. Mm -hmm. So, he goes into AutoZone, he gets uh, the old CEO fired, and then he does a stock buyback to drive up the price. And, uh, so he got in the zone. Yeah, he got um, in the zone. earnings per share is like one of the main the stats. Zone. Oh, really? Main stats that Wall Street analysts look look at mm-hmm. when companies report their earnings. Get in the zone. Auto zone. <laughs> so a pretty Get easy way. <laughs> so a pretty easy way to juice your stats is to Get just buy back your own shares because oh, it reduces you. the denominator. Right. Right. <laughs> 
What are we even doing? What is this? <laughs> yeah, AutoZone, what does it mean when my car makes that noise? <laughs> <laughs> is there a problem with the radiator? AutoZone problems. <laughs> cool. I just realized that if I get uh, the Stephen Hawking version of Lou Gehrig's disease, I'm not going to have one of those <laughs> computer things. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to have drops. I cannot live another day with. You have a, a ch- you can choose them with your eye. Yeah, yeah. Like you can choose what drop to do. If you're yeah, <laughs> communicates how you feel. I'm just in my chair drooling, going. Another right, scorcher, right. Another scorcher. Another scorcher. Cool. <laughs> Andy's on his deathbed, and his family's like, "You lost everything, but what did it cost?" Another scorcher. Another scorcher. <laughs> I can tell you that every job has its ups and. I can tell you. I love having the support of real billionaires. Classic. Uh, but so, you know, uh, regardless, and AutoZone actually does pretty well with the recession in 2008 because people start getting their cars repaired instead of buying new ones, you right, know? Right. Um, but so, you know, he makes these, uh, you know, I'll admit good investments and he has this reputation. So what happens is in 2003, he buys Kmart out of bankruptcy. At 2005, he merges it with Sears. But we would be remiss if we didn't mention that on January 10th, 2003, he's kidnapped um, it, it's a weird story where he's leaving his um, Greenwich, Connecticut office building. He's shoved into the back seat of a rented uh, Gren- Greenwich. Yeah, Greenwich, <laughs> Connecticut. Uh, he's shoved into the back seat of a rented. Black Actually, that's something we're going to ha- head out to Greenwich Village. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's shoved in the back seat of a Ford Expedition SUV. He's driven uh, to a day's end, uh, 55 miles away in Hamden, Connecticut. Uh, four young men, this is from Vanity Fair, four young men held him hostage for the next 28 hours in a $49 a night motel room. <gasps> um, and then kind of what happens is the, uh, t- uh, there's, there's four people involved in this, and some of the kidnappers are dumb where they use his credit card to, I think, order pizza. Nice. So that, uh, oh, yeah, that two of the kidnappers used Lambert's credit card to go on an $800 shopping spree for electronics equipment. At Sears? Yes. And so this is, of course, stupid because now the police know where they are right, or right. they have some idea. Um, and so they wanted to get a $5 million payoff out of him. But um, Vanity Fair actually managed to contact one of the, the ringleader of this. Uh, in 2004, a guy named Ronaldo Rose. They should have put it into crypto. Yeah. Oh, I guess they didn't have crypto back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gift cards? Yes. Uh, Ronaldo Rose, he was the ringleader. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison in 2004. He was released in 2016. He went back to uh, Jamaica, his native Jamaica. Uh, he, he says it was like uh, four local men. They just looked up Lampert on the internet and found that he was rich, is what he says. But uh, there's also like reports that one of them told Lampert that an AutoZone board member wanted them to kill him or something. Really? So it's it's kind of an unresolved thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I mean, get in the car. Yeah. I hate when you uh, bring your Lampert in for a minor repair and the AutoZone mechanic is like, you're going to have to cut its throat in a motel room. <laughs> <laughs> They're charging so much more for that <laughs> shit. Um, but it, it is something where Eddie Lampert has not talked about this kidnapping. We don't really know the details of it. But uh, the ringleader, Ronaldo Rose, he told the Vanity Fair, he says that after they had abducted Lampert, Lampert freaked out and one of the guys started punching him in the head. So I had to yell at them, listen, you both calm down, keep quiet and you're going to be all right. I made Lampert a, prob- a promise. Listen, you don't give us no problem and we'll let you go. 
Uh, and he did, so he never freaked out after initially. Hmm. Um, but I like this quote from Vanity Fair. It still haunts Rose today that he might have go- not have gone to prison had he killed Lampert and the other kidnappers. End <laughs> 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 quote. So it was like, okay, get rid of everybody. But with one of the uh, kidnappers and Lampert, it was like family almost. He argued against all of that, against killing Lampert. Right. I still think we should have just got rid of everybody, <laughs> but I don't know. I did have to consider that Lampert never gave any problems, so I kind of had to keep my word on that. Um, and uh, he recalls some exchange where Eddie Lampert was talking to them about how Kmart was like uh, tied up with the mafia, uh, and they used it as a piggy bank. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Lampert was talking, actually talking to the kidnappers about, I don't know if I should invest in Kmart. It might be tied up with the mob. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) This guy's making small talk with his fucking kidnappers? You're in a a motel room for 28 hours with these people. You're going to talk to them eventually. That's all it took to get him to (laughs) talk about Kmart's mob ties. Uh, and, you know, so in the end, this leader, the Rose, says the main I'm reason... I'm just going to talk about Shark Week while everyone's watching the TV. <laughs> the main reason Rose says that uh, he decided to let Lampert go was that his partners were so inept. By using Lampert's credit card against Rose's instructions, his partners at crime had alerted police to their whereabouts. Rose says they released Lampert not to get the ransom money, but to call off what was by then a hopeless caper. Hmm. So, you know, they end up doing prison terms, um, uh, not getting their $5 million ransom. But, uh, you know, I can think of about... Two 200,000 former Sears employees who wish that transaction went a little differently. Uh, yeah. But previous to this kidnapping, in 2001, he marries Kinga Lambert. Yeah, and, his uh, wife's name is Kinga. Yeah, it, she, there's not really, really not that much information about her. She's uh, had breast cancer at one point, and so she's got on a board of uh, BCRF, Breast Cancer RF, I don't know. Oh, research foundation. Research, <laughs> research foundation is what it is. Um, and it's interesting because she's really got an Instagram and that's it. But she's only got 1,751 followers. And the BCRF, like, pro, non, here's what I'm saying. She's a part of a, a, a non-profit breast cancer organization and she's married to a billionaire and she has barely more Instagram followers than me, a fat idiot. So I, I, I don't yeah, but understand. All of, fo- all of her followers are on Pebble. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like, it's one of those things where, like, uh, there's some random model that tweeted out that she was at a breast cancer event with Kinga and the, the like, co- uh, comment underneath is one guy being like, oh, is that the person that's married to that fraudster? Mm-hmm. I, I support the cause, but not the person. Uh, so I don't know why Kinga is uh, bad at uh, Breast Cancer Research Foundation awareness, but um, all I know is this points to me, since he's still married, and the David Geffen connection, he eats the butt. I wonder if it was her foundation that uh, painted that Israeli jet fighter paint for <laughs> breast cancer awareness. <laughs> But um, so he gets uh, Eddie Lampert gets out of this kidnapping and then he concludes the Kmart deal. He buys Kmart out of bankruptcy in 2003. Um, and then he's doing a bunch of, you know, standard Wall Street juice the returns tactics where he cuts all capital expenditures. There's an article from the time about all of the different Kmart execs, Kmart execs pick, pitching him on things like, what if we invest two million dollars in making the lighting at the stores more pleasant? And he just says, no, no, <laughs> just says no to every single really? investment. What a and week. again, five. <laughs> Point three billion in shareholder buybacks right. between 2005-2010. So he's just cutting all capital expenditures, doing buybacks. And for a short period of time, this looks like it's working because you can juice your short-term numbers, but of course, the long-term numbers explode. Yeah, This is funny because in his world right now, they're talking about how $1 of CapEx, capital expenditures, mm. is worth so much more now than it was when 
like when around when he would have been started really? doing it. So like the long term returns would have one dollar is worth way more now. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. How's that possible? Productivity increases, ah. all that good stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he also uh, he manages to trick, but this is before he owns Sears. He manages to trick Sears and Home Depot into buying a bunch of uh, Kmart's real estate for way inflated prices, which more just shows that the management at both Sears and Home Depot were also idiots. <laughs> but that that gives his the stock price a juice too, and then he buys Sears in two thousand five and merges the two companies. Um, and uh, just according to uh, Mark Cohen, the um, uh, former executive we quoted earlier, uh, he tells Vanity Fair, quote, Lampert, uh, af- then after the 2008 financial crisis, Lampert stopped appearing to support the business in any conventional way and started to invest free cash flow in derivatives. He hived off Sears Roebuck's three consequential brands, Kenmore, Craftsman, and Die Hard, into a Car- Caribbean-based wholly-owned subsidiary of ESL, his hedge fund. So the company was paying royalty royalties to eddie lampert's hedge fund for the use of its own trademarks and you know there's ongoing lawsuits uh we won't get too far into (laughs) i'm looking up the uh um pink (laughs) iaf jet (laughs) to see if it was paid for by the uh idf uh paid for by uh ms lampert's (laughs) charity Uh, But the point is, you know, there's a lot of different complicated financial transactions. We won't go too far into the weeds in, but he starts um, uh, asset stripping Sears after the 08 financial crisis and then having it pay um, royalties to his own hedge fund and just taking all of the value out of the company and trying to um, uh, insulate it from the inevitable bankruptcy so that he gets to hold on to it after it gets wiped out. And um, we'll see if he's successful in this. But what I wanted to uh, do here was read a bit from, um, again, one of the funniest uh, business <laughs> stories I've ever read, which is a Bloomberg Businessweek piece by uh, Mina Kims uh, called, quote, At Sears, Eddie Lampert's warring divisions model adds to the troubles. This was written in 2013. So he's having some problems. Uh, obviously, he's not investing in Sears Kmart, the new combined company. So in 2008, he comes up with the um, the Ayn Rand model. <laughs> and it should be noted, he has a reputation for giving new employees at, uh, Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged, on audiobook. Uh, he also owns a, a yacht named The Fountainhead <laughs> after the Ayn Rand novel, which he purchased for, I believe, $130 million in 2011. So, you know, he's a real acolyte of this this stuff. But the article in Bloomberg uh, Businessweek, it begins with every year the uh, 30 different division heads of the companies within Sears Kmart have to teleconference in to Eddie Lampert and beg him for money <laughs> and, uh, you know, make, make their point that, um, that they need money. But uh, so just quoting from the article here, uh, plagued by the realities... Uh, facing many retail stores, Sears also faces a unique problem, Lampert. Many of its troubles can be traced to an organizational model the chairman implemented five years ago, an idea he has said will save the company. Lampert runs Sears like a hedge fund portfolio, with dozens of autonomous businesses competing for his attention and money. Uh, He created the model because he expected the invisible hand of the market to drive better results. If the company's leaders were told to act selfishly, he argued, they would run their divisions in a rational manner boosting overall in performance 
And then I like how this story continues. Uh, Lampert created the model because he wanted deeper data, which he could use to analyze the company's assets. It wires, it's why he hired Paul D. Podesta, the Harvard-educated statistician immortalized in Michael Lewis by Michael Lewis in his book, Moneyball. Also involved in Pizzagate. Yes. So he hires the Moneyball really? guy. D. Podesta. Oh, gotcha. Guy. <laughs> All right. joke. He hires the Moneyball guy. But then, if that were not enough, he also hires Stephen Levitt, the co-author of Freakonomics, <laughs> as a consultant. So it was something where, uh, uh, just continu- continuing from this, he uh, well, Lampert often clashed with retail veterans. Lampert got along better with businessmen from finance and technology. So he's paying the Moneyball stati- uh, statistician. He's paying the Freakonomics co-author, <laughs> but he's ignoring all retail veterans who have any experience running a retail company. And I mean, it's it's so funny to me because it's like that story about how they uh, they ran the Vietnam War by bringing in all these Harvard grads right, who right. put these like statistical models of uh, Vietnamese people murdered together, and they were like, yeah, if we just murder this many people, then eventually the population will not be able to replace, and we'll win the war. Yeah, they had the infamous kill quotas, which right. uh, led to let's say uh, the more flexible designation of what constitutes a fighter <laughs> yeah they had kd ratios for all of the units right yeah and they would i mean it, it it basically led to um they would have kills or open fire zones i think they were called mm-hmm. um where in that area they could just kill anyone because it was uh designated a hostile territory which it is uh, an act of genocide yes uh but the point here is that he gets the fucking Moneyball guy and the uh, uh, Freakonomics economist, both of whom have zero experience <laughs> running retail operations. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you do those fucking uh, Steven Pinker style <laughs> counterintuitive uh, analyses books. Uh, what if you just come in and run this company into the ground with me? Yeah, get the Freakonomics guy instead of the 30-year veterans in retail right, planning right. and pricing. All yes. right, we're going to um, invest $1 billion in uh, putting an orange inside an apple. <laughs> but yes, if you see Stephen Levitt, the Freakonomics guy on Twitter, please ask him what happened to those 200,000 Sears jobs. <laughs> <laughs> this counterintuitive experiment shows that if you hire a dipshit economist, you'll run your business into the ground. But um, yes, yeah, so... Uh, in 2008, they switched to this. Uh, they divide the company into more than 30 business units, uh, including apparel, tools, appliances, human resources, IT, uh, ke- uh, brands, Kenmore Appliances, Craftsman Tools, diehard batteries, uh, real estate, blah, blah, blah. Um, so what happens is uh, as the company uh, rolled out the plan, Sears executives held dozens of meetings to decide how units would interact. By 2009, there were around 40 separate divisions, according to an internal company document. Uh, Lampert created SOAR, S-O-A-R, to help Sears attract a higher caliber of talent. But it also created a top-heavy cost structure, according oh yeah, and SOAR is this idea... Uh, it stands for Sears Holding Organizations, Actions, and Responsibilities. And basically, every single division gets their own uh, bonuses based on their own profit and losses. Hmm. And the funny thing about doing this in retail is uh, in order to get 
people in the store, different divisions have to offer discounts to, you know, get people in the store and then buy other things. But now that every division has its own P&Ls, nobody wants to offer discounts because they don't want to take the hit on their (laughs) bottom line to get other people's uh, other divisions prices uh, jacked up. Uh, Sears employees would later give it a different nickname, SORE, (laughs) S-O-R-E. Swish. Yes. Uh, It's so... Because every single division needed its own board of directors, but also a, um, they ha- each division had to hire and promote its own chief financial officers and chief marketing officers and personnel. Uh, personnel expenses shot up because each of these yep. fucking divisions needs its own CFO and COO. Um, and then they had to uh, underpay middle, middle managers to trim costs to like have this really bloated structure. So that, they actually took, they took a problem that, most large corporations deal with which is how like how should divisions within a company politically divide up both their profits and their losses right. both their costs and their pricing right pricing power mm. and just multiplied it so each one is like a little mini fiefdom within the company now <laughs> and they have their own <laughs> chief operating officers and everything idiotic yeah so the the most cumbersome aspect of the new structure, former employees say, was Lambert's edict that each unit create its own board of directors. Because there were so many departments, some presidents sat on as many as five or six boards, which met once a month. Top executives were constantly mired in meetings. Um, under the, the new model, uh, Lampert evaluated the different divisions uh, and uh, used a metric called business operating pro- uh, profit uh, to uh, allocate bonuses. Individual business units started to focus solely on their own profitability and stopped caring about the welfare of the company as a whole. According to several former executives, the apparel division cut back on labor to save money, <laughs> knowing that floor salesmen in other departments would inevitably pick up the slack. <laughs> So you just like start firing your people and being like, yeah, the other departments will take care of that. <laughs> right, right. Turf wars sprang up over store displays. No one was willing to make sacrifices in pricing to boost store traffic. And then I love this. 2013. In an email, a Sears spokesman writes that the executives work together if it makes sense. He added, quote, clashes for resources are a product of competition and advocacy. Things that were sorely lacking before and are lacking in socialist economies. <laughs> So this Sears executive in 2013 is getting a di- uh, spokesman is getting a dig in at fucking socialist economies <laughs> in defending their business model uh, that they are running the company into the ground with it. 2013, like, you said. Uh, let's see. That was when it had dropped to about uh, 31 dollars. So that would be about a hundred dollar drop from their stock price wow. high with uh, <laughs> another yeah. A hundredfold drop to go. Uh, So the uh, bloodiest battles took place in marketing meetings where different units would fight for space in the weekly circular. You know, the um, little uh, guide they give, uh, the mailers they send out for what products they're advertising. Uh, These sessions would often degenerate into screaming matches. Marketing (laughs) chiefs would argue to the point of exhaustion. The result, former executives say, was a, quote, Frankenstein circular with incoherent product combinations. Think screwdrivers being advertised next to lingerie. Uh, Eventually, they switched this by having a bidding
funding system where each units pay for space in the circular. Um, uh, this created a new problem. The wealthier business units, such as appliances, could purchase more space. Two former business units uh, recall how uh, business unit heads recall how for the Mother's Day 2011 circular, the sporting goods units purchased purchased space on the cover for a product called a Doodle Bug mini bike, popular with young boys. <laughs> popular with young boys. This is the Mother's Day right. circular <laughs> on the front Idiotic. of the cover. Ah, uh, yes. What's the log admin day? They they couldn't get the business heads to agree to open the store for uh, midnight Black Friday 2011. Um, you know, so and they, they oh yeah, uh, former executives say they. Uh, Individual unit heads began to bring laptops with <laughs> with screen protectors to meetings so their colleagues couldn't see what they were doing. <laughs> and then, you know, the other thing is he splits off these, you know, famous Sears brand like uh, Kenmore right. and, you know, Craftsman Tools uh, because they split it off. And if Kenmore uh, licenses, yeah, so... If Kenmore licenses from another Sears division, they have to pay that Sears division. Oh, really? So the fucking thing has this exclusive brands, and they start promoting competitors' brands what? in order to sabotage the other Not divisions the within <laughs> Sears. <laughs> because the appliance unit could make... Uh, yeah, because the appliances unit, so they have Kenmore, because the appliances unit could make more money selling devices manufactured by outside brands such as LG Electronics, it began giving Kenmore's rivals more prominent placement in stores oh, for Christ. the fridges. And they talk about, you know, they could have combined Craftsman tools with uh, diehard batteries, which they also owned, but both of the divisions didn't want to help each other right, because of the profits. Right. So it's just like, I mean, it's fucking insane that this dipshit rich kid gets to do a real-time Ayn Rand experiment with the livelihoods of 200,000 people and pay no consequences for it whatsoever. And like the senior, let's just serve like the Ordo capitalist senior management. He didn't listen to them. Hmm. While he was doing, <laughs> oh yeah, no, he had a, he had a slavish board, uh, which included... didn't agree with his libertarian dream. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> And, you know, we already mentioned at the top here, uh, Lampert constantly cooked up ideas, BlackBerry apps, netbooks in stores, and a massive multiplayer game for employees. Uh, but, of course, he <laughs> ordered the IT department to build a proprietary social network called Pebble, which he joined anonymously under the pseudonym Eli Wexler. Uh, and Eli refers to Wexler? someone... Yeah, Wexler. Wexler. Yeah. <laughs> an, an Eli refers to someone who attended Yale... Uh, his intention was... Oh, really? To, That's what that, that yeah. means? Huh. Uh, it quickly became clear that Eli Wexler was a little too engaged on Pebble. He left critical comments on other people's posts, according to more than 20 <laughs> former employees. He even got into arguments with store associates. Word got around that Wexler was Lampert. Bosses started tracking how often employees were pebbling. One former business head says her group organized Pebble conversations about miscellaneous <laughs> topics just to appear they were active users. Oh, wow. Another group held, quote, Pebble Jam sessions to create the illusion they were using the network. And, you know, it just goes on and on like that. But, uh, I mean, he ran this fucking company into the ground. Uh, uh, again, according to Vanity Fair, at least 200,000 Sears and Kmart employees have been thrown out of work during his tenure. Uh, both Lampert and Sears are being sued for investing employees' retirement money in Sears stock when the top brass allegedly knew it was a terrible insolvent investment. Um, Geffen got out in 2007. Um, the uh, 
by 2000, according to the New York Post, by 2013, a group of Goldman Sachs pension fund clients had poured more than $3.5 billion into his hedge fund. So, you know, I mean, yeah. Goldman Sachs leading their fucking hedge fund, right. uh, their pension funds into the It's slaughter. a jerk-off club, literally. Yeah. They start in the coffin and they end in the grave. Mm-hmm. And um, the corporate grave. Yeah. And look, with, with the time we have left here. Nice. Uh, another thing he does in 2015, according to CEPR.net, in 2015, when it was already obvious that Sears days as a going concern were numbered, Lampert's hedge fund created a publicly traded real estate investment trust called Seritage Growth Properties. Lampert then had Sears sell 266 Sears and Kmart properties to Seritage for $3 billion. The retail chain then paid the trust a total of $135 million in rent the first year of the lease agreements for the stores it had previously owned, with guaranteed rent hikes the following year. So 2015, he takes the properties that they already own, he sells them to himself, and then he starts charging them rent. So it's very clear that uh, he tries this fucking Ayn Rand experiment. It doesn't work. And then he starts asset stripping the company. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Adam Newman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very similar. Actually, with some of his buildings that we work. Yeah, and he starts stripping off you know, various uh, pieces of the company. Uh, in, two, in late 2018, there's a bankruptcy. And he sets up a new company that I... I'm spacing on the name of. It's called something really weird, but everybody just calls it New Sears. So there's New Sears and Old Sears. <laughs> it's like a new Coke, classic Coke situation. Yes. Do you hear what they're doing? Yeah. What are they doing? They man? got a New Sears. Oh, there's a New Sears. Yeah. Um, so in uh, 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 t- late 2018... <laughs> In late 2018, Sears goes through bankruptcy. In early 2019, January, uh, Eddie Lampert actually buys a lot of the assets out of bankruptcy because he was its main lender. Mm-hmm. Where another thing that people go through is Eddie Lampert was was loaning money to pay Sears' bills. But the way bankruptcy court works, if you are the lender, you can have that converted into equity once it emerges from bankruptcy. Huh. So people, I think, make the very credible allegation that he was lending money to Sears just to put it into bankruptcy so that when it comes from bankruptcy, he can convert all that debt into equity in the new company if it emerges from bankruptcy. Really? Yeah. Um, so he's... Um, wait. Yeah, explain that more, Sean. It's very confusing. It sounds like he's making money out of nothing. Yeah, he's yes. like buying it, it just back, says but if then he's, selling it because he's, he's got it. If he's able to... If his rescue plan for Sears works, right. then he's entitled to convert some of the debt used to do all this over to equity and just have it for himself and his companies. Right. So, yeah, like the way bankruptcy works is um, if it goes through a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, all of the stockholders are wiped out. But the people who owe money or who are owed money, Mm -hmm. they become um, that uh, debt is converted into equity in the new company. So if he's which he is the largest lender to Sears, he could conceivably become the largest shareholder again when Uh, it when it reemerges from bankruptcy. Oh, so he's it's basically a um, sleight of hand to steal shareholder money. Absolutely. Okay. And you know, of course, the entire thing is he can also collect uh, fees from Sears for the uh, money that he is loaning to Sears and all these other things. You know, he can loan to them at exorbitant interest rates. He has all of these financial engineering things that are going on that Mm -hmm. we'll see if. He gets called on on bankruptcy court. And wait, all of this is legal? (laughs) (laughs) But um, so in January 2019, he buys, he does get an agreement to buy Sears out of bankruptcy from old Sears. 
his new Sears <laughs> buys it. Uh, but as part of this, in January 2019, he promises to pay the workers laid off $43 million in severance pay. Uh, he has since reneged on that hmm. and said that um, because, you know, old Sears didn't honor its obligations, he doesn't have to pay any severance pay. And um, uh, Bernie Sanders makes the point that uh, he, this is $43 million. His yacht is $130 million. Jesus <laughs> Christ. So he's, um, you know, just kind of. And look. The other thing is uh, uh, Old Sears is now suing him. They're suing him and Steve Mnuchin and Thomas Tisch of the Tisch family fortune was another board member mm-hmm. of this. And it should just be noted that Thomas Tisch is the uncle of the uh, Tisch lady who went on MSNBC and said, if you don't support Bernie, San- if you don't support Warren over Sanders, you are a sexist. <laughs> uh, so just should be noted. Her uncle is being sued for two billion dollars by Old Sears. Um <laughs> But yeah, so old Sears is suing him, Steve Mnuchin, the Tish, uh, Thomas Tish, and the other board members for two billion, saying they asset stripped about two billion out of this company through the uh, the real estate deal we mentioned. If you don't support asset stripping and uh, screwing employees, unemployed uh, employees out of their severance due to financial mismanagement, you're sexist. <laughs> and uh, look. Uh, I, I know we've run a little long here, but I guess for closing out, I, I just want to talk. There's a there's a story in the Nation uh, from April 2019. I think that's your new catchphrase, Sean. <laughs> yeah. I think we're running a little right. long here, <laughs> but there's a story in the Nation from April 2019. It talks about 29 years ago, Kathy Cagle got a job at Sears in Newark, California. Uh, she started out in clothing, moved up to selling appliances. After Lampert took control, uh, Cagle's commissions plummeted. She was making a decent middle-class living. Her hours were cut before then. Her hours were cut. She has had to take on extra work, like dog walking, to make ends meet. It gradually got worse and worse, she recalled. Um, when she was told at the end of June 2018 that her store would be closing, management said that as long as employees stayed till the very end, they would receive severance pay. Cagle was due eight weeks of pay, which would have come to about $5,600, plus 10 weeks of health and dental coverage. Over the f- On the final day of the store's operation, she and her co-workers got paperwork to apply for severance, which they were told to fax in the following Monday. Two weeks later, no one had gotten a response. Cagle tried to make a doctor's appointment, but found out that her health insurance for her daughter had been cut off what the the promised severance never materialized they never paid us didn't call us didn't write to us kegel said they dropped my health plan and dental without telling me at all she and her coworkers didn't get an answer until they wrote the company a letter in response the company told them that because it had filed for bankruptcy on october 15 no one in their store would be getting severance that was the same day that kegel and her coworkers were told to send in their paperwork for severance uh, quote, they must have known that they were going to file for bankruptcy, but they still led us to believe that if you stayed until the end, they would give you this severance right, package. Right. I feel like they tricked people because they didn't want people to leave the company. So they knew they were going to fucking Welsh on this severance. Yep. They still kept people working until the very end, and then they fucked them out of $43 million, which is pennies right. for these fucking people. But, you know, for... And, you know, again, take that story, multiply it by 200,000. And the nation interviews other people, including her. She talks about, you know, skipping meals, just drinking water. Um, Other people talk about uh, uh, losing their homes uh, because they lost their job. Lost their jobs at Sears Kmart. Sean, Uh, there are days when Donald Rumsfeld, all he drank was water. (laughs) Listen, Kegels might have been fucked, but her pussy was real tight. Cool. Goddamn. (laughs) 
Um, you know, and look, it is just something where these these really human stories that you just multiply it by hundreds of thousands of times, and it's it's fucked up what happened to these people, and we'll see what comes out of the bankruptcy court, but it should be noted, according to the Wall Street Journal, there's about 425 remaining Sears and Kmart stores. Uh, Eddie Lampert has said he will close some of them, but he's trying to relaunch this company that he would then control again, uh, having... The other thing is he's got, I think, 1.5 or 1.6 billion worth of pensions he's pushed onto the federal government. The Pension Guarantee Corps is run by Steve Mnuchin's Treasury Department. Oh, he's so he's, he's got his old former college roommate says, yeah, this is a great deal. We'll take your pensions off your hand, which will, of course, result in um, haircuts to those pensions for those workers. Uh, the and guy who is also named in a lawsuit <laughs> <laughs> on the bankruptcy. <laughs> Yes, and you know, so it is just something where uh, we'll see if he gets away with it. We'll see what happens with the bankruptcy court. Um, uh, as we mentioned, you know, some of the appliances and other people are suing. Saying, I'm sure they're going to come up with a solution mm-hmm. that makes everyone mm-hmm. happy. <laughs> you know, one that's good for the loyal workers and you know uh, the management. Listen, I know the employees that were fired are pretty hot right now, but. Trust me, they'll be cooled off pretty soon. Yeah. They uh, they canceled life insurance for twenty nine thousand retirees, but they told the they settled with the bankruptcy court. They'll give them three million dollars between twenty nine thousand people, about a hundred dollars each. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and you know, it just goes on and on and on like that. Uh, you know, nine- hey, a hundred dollars is a lot of money. Let's not let let's stop this bourgeois. Uh, <laughs> condescension okay you can buy a lot with a hundred dollars yeah you could support our show for at least 10 to 15 months (laughs) and you know at the end of the day as of today that's what they're doing with their hundred dollars eddie lampert still has a net worth according to forbes 1.1 billion dollars even if this entire thing gets wiped out He's doing fine but if it is allowed to emerge from bankruptcy with him still as the principal shareholder I mean, he's just going to fucking run it into the ground again or asset strip it. Or, you know, if he makes it a growing concern, he'll probably just sell the real estate after he's managed to uh, get out of all the pension obligations, all the life insurance obligations, all the health insurance, all of the, um, you know, uh, all of the other obligations to the workers. So he can just sell the real estate, um, asset strip the rest of it. And he's not you're not going to be able to claw back the fees that he's already paid himself. So, again, this is just a hedge fund model for an economy where there's no way for these fucking people to lose. And it's fucked up. And, you know, some of the Sears workers are working with the Toys R Us workers and Rise Up Retail to say, you know, the workers should have a seat on the company board. So it's not just fucking guys like Eddie Lampert and their six college roommates. Right. Making Yesterday all, you said you'd call Sears. <laughs> making all these decisions. But I guess keep an eye on that bankruptcy court and hopefully we can, you know, elect some people who will actually do something about guys like Eddie Lampert. Cool. (laughs) And that's just about everything. There's still about 68,000 workers today who still have their jobs at risk, who may or may not be able to come back in a newly formed Kmart Sears. But, uh, you know, our, our thoughts and prayers are with them. And uh, if, if they need some outside consulting, I know a guy in Jamaica who has firsthand <laughs> experience with Eddie Lampert and might be able to av- advise Rise Up Retail on possible solutions to, uh, to this lawsuit. But w- we'll see what happens with the bankruptcy court. And uh, best of luck to uh, all the retail workers suffering under private equity and hedge funds. 
And with that, this has been Grubstakers. Stakers. I'm Yogi Polywall. I'm Eddie Palmer. I'm Steve Jeffries. All right. I'm Sean McCarthy. Bye. Thanks for listening. Brightens your holidays with super values like this Kenmore dishwasher at a $50 savings. Has pots and pans cycle, power miser, and water miser. Now $269.95. And save $40 on Sears Best Automatic Garage Door Opener with digital control for convenience and security. Now $159.99. And Sears can arrange professional installation of these holiday gifts. Sears, where America shops for value. Craftsman has the tools for you. There's more for your life. It's more for your life. There's more for your life. That's it. I used to think when I made 25 grand, I'd be on Easy Street. I make double what my father made, and I've got less to show for it. I thought I was working for the future. Truth is, I'm just staying even. People need help with their money, and many of the people getting help the least are the people Sears has served for close to a century. Well, Sears believes that you deserve more, and that's why Sears has created the Sears Financial Network, built to give you straight talk and simple answers about your money. A network Sears built with some of the best brains in the business. Dean Witter for your investments. Coldwell Banker for your real estate. Allstate for your insurance. They're ready to serve you now in their own offices across the country. You'll get straight talk and simple answers. The Sears Financial Network. Trust us to make it work for you. Do you hold a grudge against Montgomery Burns? No. All right, maybe I did, but I didn't shoot him. Checks out. Okay, sir, you're free to go. Good, because I got a hot date tonight. Hot date. Dinner with friends. Dinner alone. Watching TV alone. All right. I'm going to sit at home and ogle the ladies in the Victoria's Secret catalog. See his catalog. Now, would you unhook this already, please? I don't deserve this kind of shabby treatment.